Good morning. Uh, my name is Matt. I am the pastor here at the Sunwash Fish, Fish Creek campus. Uh, glad that you're with us this morning. If you're new or you're visiting us, special welcome to you. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called The Church I See, as you just saw. This is the final Sunday of that series, which has been going on for a couple of months here now. Uh, I had a few people ask me, uh, why are you wearing a Toronto Raptors jer- or t-shirt? Um, so I just want, because I know I don't live in like basketball country here, so I got I to gotta take the opportunities to educate uh, you hockey folks. That, and for those of you who are Oilers fans or Flames fans, don't have anybody to cheer for in this next season, I'm giving you a team to cheer for. Uh, the Toronto Raptors, Canada's team, finished in the Eastern Conference first place for the first time in franchise history this past week. So, uh, and I, I thought, should I wear my t-shirt maybe later in the playoffs? And then I had a friend say to me, uh, knowing Toronto, you might not get an opportunity to brag about them in the playoffs. So, so we'll take this opportunity while we have it. And we're excited about the, what's going on at the Raptors. And as I was kind of reviewing my notes uh, for, this mor- uh, for a service this morning, uh, I was just curious, I was like, when, when did the franchise and the Toronto Raptors, when, when did that franchise begin? And it was in the 1995-96 season, and I was a fan very early on. Uh, so it's been uh, 23 years of uh, a roller coaster ride, and this is the best season that they've ever had. Uh, and then I just, it struck me that the Toronto Raptors franchise actually started the exact same year that SunWest Church started. Uh, and, and we have similarly been on a very interesting journey over these past 23 years, and it's a new day in our church, and it's a new day for Toronto. And uh, Randall, our worship pastor, said, are you sure you want to make an analogy with the Raptors and the church? And I'm just, uh, there you go. It, it is what it is, but I just thought that was, that was interesting uh, as a Raptors fan. So for those of you just tuned out the last couple of minutes, uh, come on back. We're continuing our The Church I See and this, uh, this year has been uh, a year where I would say our theme has really been about faith and risk-taking and believing God for uh, more and what's next and dreaming together. And, and if you rem- remember, we started in fall, our kickoff series was Chase the Lion. And Chase the Lion, the series was based on uh, this character that just kind of has this odd verse allotted to him in 1 Samuel 23, this guy named Benaiah who chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day and killed it. And we kind of use that as an analogy, that there's fears and dreams that God is calling us to chase, fears that he's calling us to face, and faith that he's inviting us to uh, engage in and believe in him for, for more than we could ever ask or imagine, that God could do more. And we talked about the lines in our personal lives that we could conquer the fears that God was calling us personally to face. But we also talk corporately uh, about what lines that God might be asking us to face as a, as a church community. And it's really been a year of looking various lines in the face and not willing to back down or be afraid, but to move forward in faith and courage. And I just want to review very quickly this concept of faith that we talked about in fall. And throughout that series, we said that faith is the willingness to look foolish. Often when you take a risk, when you step out in faith, it doesn't go quite the way that you hoped it would, and you end up looking foolish sometimes, and that's okay. we got to be willing to take risks, to be foolish, 
Uh, in fact, we have to be willing to fail, and we want to be a church community that even celebrates failure because that means we're trying to step out and be risk-takers. Faith is unlearning your fears. There was two fears we talked about that we were born with and all the other fears we've learned. Uh, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Good job. That was like many months ago, you guys remember well. Every other fear that you have has been a learned fear. And so it goes, uh, you know, it would, it would follow that if we've learned those fears, then we can unlearn them. And so we have to be willing to unlearn our fears. Three, that faith often involves taking the first step before God reveals the second step. And I was just even reflecting this past week on uh, God's call to Abram before his name was changed to Abraham in Genesis 12. And God said, I'm calling you uh, to a land that you have not yet seen, that you don't know about. And Abraham did not know what was next, but he was willing to follow God on that faith, uh, in faith, on what God was calling him to, and willing to take the first step before God revealed the second step. And faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, which is taken from Hebrews 11. And so we believe in something that is not yet happened. We have a level of certainty about what God wants to do, even though those around us might not see it. And throughout this year, we've been trying to move forward to increase our capacity for faith, for risk, for courage. And in uh, Matthew 6.33, it says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. And at the end of the day, it was, it's God who gives us faith. Uh, it's because, you know, when David fought Goliath, or you see these heroes in faith that in Scripture that conquered these lions, so to speak. It was, they were able to do it because they believed in a God that was bigger than they were, that was bigger than their circumstances. And here at Sunrise, we believe that when we seek God above all else, that he will supply what we need for what he's calling us to do. And Chase the Lion, there was a stat that we talked about, 56% of young people have a regret based on, based on actions that they've done. Things that they've done that they regretted, 56%, uh, uh, sorry, in comparison with inaction. i got to give you the context there. So 56% versus inaction or action, 56% of young people had regrets over action, uh, over things that they had done, and 44% over things that they wished they had done. That drastically changed as people get older, 86% of people in their later years have regrets over inaction more than the 14% that have regrets over action. As time goes on, we tend to regret the things that we should have done, that we didn't. And so we want to be a people that is not afraid of failure, not afraid of risk, but steps forward in courage to seek God's kingdom above all else and trust that God will supply what we need when we need it. In the early 1800s, there was a guy named Charles Blondin. Can you guys say Blondin? Blondin. There you go. One sec here. Here you go. So Charles Blondin. You got a news, newspaper article here. Blondin crosses the Niagara Falls. So Blondin was known for being a, he was an acrobat, he was a tightrope walker, and he set a tightrope in the early 1800s, 1,100 feet 
across the Niagara Gorge that he would tightrope walk. And so he would walk across the gorge, and people would hear how crazy this guy was, and they would show up to see this guy walk this 1,100 feet. And so crowds were gathering. But, you know, eventually people get bored with seeing the same thing over and over, and so he had to up the hype level, right? So he bought some stilts, and he actually walked on stilts across Niagara Falls. And so crowds were coming, crowds were watching. But pretty soon he had to trade in the stilts, and he got a Bunsen burner. And he, he took the Bunsen burner into the middle of Niagara Falls, and he fried some eggs and ate them on the tightrope over the gorge. And so crowds were gathering. And uh, what he's probably most famous for is after, that, after the Bunsen burner incident, incident, he took a wheelbarrow. And he grabbed the wheelbarrow, and he walked across the falls in a wheelbarrow. And people thought that was pretty cool. And then he put a potato sack on himself so he couldn't see anything and he said who thinks that I can walk across the falls with the potato sack on and the wheelbarrow and what did everybody do you put up your hand and cheer that's what they, yeah I do I do so he put on potato sack walked across the falls with the squeaky wheelbarrow and people just started going crazy as he's blindfolded they started cheering, blonde in, blonde in. Come on, join. Let's try it. Blonde in, blonde in, blonde in, blonde in, blonde in. And so, so he grabs the wheelbarrow and he says, okay, how many of you guys believe that I could put a potato sack on, be blindfolded, walk across with the wheelbarrow, and take a person in the wheelbarrow with me? And everybody cheered, went crazy. So do it. Crazy. And then, yeah, blonde in, blonde in, blonde in. And then, okay, and then he says, how many, is there anybody here that would like to volunteer to go in the wheelbarrow? And it was just completely silent. You see, people believed that blonde in could do it. But believing something and trusting are two very different things. In fact, the Bible says that even the demons believe in God. But we're called not just to believe in God, but to trust God. That's the difference of faith. And my question this morning is, when God says, will you get in the wheelbarrow, will you? We've talked a lot about what God is like and what God could do, what God might want to do in us. And and, and it's, been a, it's been a rallying kind of a year behind what God is leading us into. But there becomes a moment, and I believe that this is a hinge point moment in the history of Sun West, where we're, we're going, yay, God, and then God says, who volunteers? And we have to make the decision whether we just believe in God, we believe that God could do more than we ask or imagine, or do we actually trust Him? Do we actually trust that He could do it? And in March 3rd, 2016, and I've I've shared this before, but just briefly, uh, there was a passage that God kind of just highlighted for me for SunWest. 
And it's in Ecclesiastes 11, verses 4 and 6. And it says, Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. And, and that was two years ago. Two years ago that I, I felt God highlight that verse for me just almost as a warning that you, we're, we're headed into a season of risk, of not just watching, not just waiting, but actually one of activity and faith and not just belief, but one of trust. And in fall in the Chase the Lion series, you know, we we're talking about the personal lions, and then we kind of shifted gears a little bit in that series. I said there's a corporate lion that I want to highlight. And this is a two million pound lion, and this was in reference to the uh, to the building that we've been looking at uh, in Mindapore. And, and I know that when I said there's a two million pound line, that, that confused a lot of people because I didn't really give any context to it. And uh, so I want to go back retrospectively and give context to that. In fall, uh, we were looking at the Connections building in Mindapore, purchasing that building. And the building uh, asking price came out at uh, $5.7 million. And we had done a little bit of financial research, and we, we assumed that the amount of mortgage that we could uh, support based on what we're paying in our rentals right now between the office and the theater here, we're probably looking at our mortgage around 3.6, 3.7. And so I said, there's a $2 million or a 2 million pound lion. And I invited us as a faith community to pray and to fast and um, and it's been phenomenal to watch what God has done over that time because that he's basically taken that two million pound line and he's eliminated it. Uh, glory to God and what, what he's doing. And I don't know if, I, I wasn't sure if I should say this, but even before all this happened in fall, uh, we had somebody in our congregation that read a, a book by Mark Batterson called, the, uh, I think it was called Circle Maker. And the whole idea was, you know, you, you kind of circle an area or a thing and you just, you just kind of pray relentlessly. I haven't read the book, but I think that's the concept. Um, and this person, I won't, I, won't, I won't say her name, but it rhymes with Tracy Johansson, uh, who, uh, who is leading worship here on the stage today. And she was, she was actually parked her car in that parking lot a couple of years ago already and started praying about this facility. Uh, felt like, like God had put that on her heart, and so she would go and park her car in there. Uh, and I said, Tracy, you prayed that church out of there. Uh, and <laughs> and that's, not, that's not what happened. I, you know, I, I, should, I shouldn't have said that. I... Connections is awesome, and we, we've actually been connecting with Ron Wayne, the pastor there, regularly, and a uh, great relationship that has built over time, and we're partnering. We continue to partner with them and pray for them, and God's leading them to new things. Uh, but even before all this came up, Tracy was there uh, praying, and, um, and we as a community have joined in, and we've continued to pray over this past year. And so I believe that this morning is a hinge point that God wants to do 
new things in SunWest, and it has way more to do than just this building, but there's practical points in this journey, and this building is the piece that I want to talk about this morning. So I want to talk a little bit about the financial details and uh, give some goals for us as we look forward. And I want to start by looking at a secondary goal. A secondary goal. So our secondary goal, which will make sense as I go through some of the financial picture here, uh, the initial purchase price right now in the facility is $3.6 million. So you guys remember what I said about the two million pound line, right? So this was right in the ballpark of what we were praying and thinking initially when this whole thought and process started. However, as we met with uh, Connections Church and we chatted with Ron, we, we got a bit of a picture of what, uh, what they were looking for. You know, they wanted to get out of debt and to set themselves up for ministry in the future. And he gave us a number. He, he, he said, we, I feel like if, if we could settle around 4.1, that that would set us up for the future and for what God has for us in our community. And so uh, our leadership team had prayed about that over the Christmas uh, season. And, uh, and sent an offer in for 4.1 with some conditions on it. So, so basically the way it, it is set up is a, it's a 3.6 initial purchase price and then a $250,000 installment due at the end of two, December 2018 uh, and a $250,000 installment due at the end of December 2019, uh, which gives us roughly about 19 months uh, for that period of time. Uh, renovations and repairs... We've allotted $250,000 uh, for that, and so that's going to be such things as repairing the roof, uh, replacing furnaces because half of them are working, uh, putting in some offices. Some of that stuff that has just been maybe neglected over the last number of years uh, just because they've been in maintenance mode and survival mode, uh, and so that needs to be upgraded and taken care of. And so the total capital required is $4.35 million dollars. The way the financial structure is, has, is set up, we have 320000 on hand, uh, which uh, we'll utilize towards the, the building. Uh, and the capital campaign that we're talking about this morning, so just to jump forward, um, so when we, when we add the lump, the lump sum payment to the 2018, end of 2019, and then the renovations, uh, the capital campaign we're looking for uh, is $750,000 over the next 19 months. The mortgage that we've applied for with the Canadian Conference is for $3.28 million. And, uh, and I get to announce this morning that that has been uh, approved by the Canadian Conference, and they are good to go and excited for us uh, as we move forward with this. Uh, so that's a huge celebration point. Um, can we give... I think that deserves a hand. So the, the beautiful thing about partnering with the Canadian Conference of Midnight Brethren Churches is that's part of the denomination we're in. And their bottom line is not money. Their bottom line is ministry. And so we're excited to head into this with a partner in ministry. And one of the benefits of going with the conference is that we can pay against the principal of the mortgage at any point without any penalty. Uh, and uh, they're excited for us, and, uh, and they think this is a totally a, 
a great thing for us, even given our financial picture. They've looked at our finances, and uh, they were, it was kind of a bit of a no-brainer, actually, for them. And so we're excited about that, that they're behind us and they're with us as we move forward here. So again, the, the secondary goal that I want to highlight this morning is $750,000. That's our capital campaign goal. This is what we hope to raise over the course of the next 19 months. Uh, and this morning we want to start a two-week pr- pledge period process. And at this time I'm going to invite our ushers uh, to kind of hand out uh, some, some brochures and material for you that you can take home with you today. Uh, so while I continue to talk, they're going to hand that stuff out. And feel free to, if you want to take more than one, that's fine, but uh, the baskets will be handed out. You can take one for you or your family. If you know of people that might want to engage uh, with us, maybe people that are behind the ministry of SunWest, maybe they don't attend here, but they believe in what we're doing and you think that they would want to partner with us, then you could take one for them as well. And these brochures and pledge cards will be available over the next couple of weeks. So we would like for you as a family, as individuals, as a community to pray and consider what God would have you give to the Church I See Capital Campaign. And our our expectation, and you'll see in the, the brochure, is that not everybody can give the same amount, but we are hoping that everybody could give something. And so for you, it might mean a staycation this year or next year instead of the vacation you were thinking about. Maybe you don't have a lot of funds on hand if you're in a similar boat like me, but you, but you might get a tax return, and you, maybe that tax return this year could be something that God would have you give towards the capital campaign. Maybe that... Uh, Starbucks coffee, you could down, sorry, not downgrade, uh, sorry Frank, uh, but you could choose Tim Hortons instead. (laughs) Wow. I don't don't think Frank's here this morning. (laughs) Don't don't tell him uh, to watch this online later. Uh, Or maybe you give up that morning coffee, you make coffee at home. And you say, I'm going to put that money that I'm spending on coffee towards a capital campaign. Maybe it's cable TV. Maybe you don't need all 300 channels. And you could scale that back. So if if you don't feel like you have room to give in this time, I would ask you to consider, is there something that we could do without for a season that would free up some money to go towards the capital campaign? We are hoping that we as a community will engage in sacrificial generosity towards where God is leading us. And I need to be very, very clear at this point that sacrificial giving does not mean going into debt. We do not want anyone here to go into debt because you're trying to give to the capital campaign. That's not what God wants for you. God does not want debt for you. And if you, if if when we're talking about a capital campaign, you're like, I just I'm so strapped financially, I don't think I can give anything. We're, we are in debt already. If you find yourself in that boat, then I'd just like to highlight uh, what Colton announced this morning, that we have a biblical finance class that is starting. 
And maybe you would take this opportunity as you come up to this point and you would say, I'd love to give generously, I'd love to give sacrificially, but I can't. Then maybe this is actually a point in time that God is highlighting that you need to take a look at your finances because he wants you to live in a place of generosity. And maybe this next 19 months for you is about freeing yourself from debt, from financial obligations that are weighing you down. And maybe the biblical finance course that uh, Chris and Kathy are running would be a great start to getting to moving in the right direction financially. If you don't know who Chris and Kathy are, they're right here. Would you guys mind standing up just so people know who you are? That's Chris and Kathy. So if you want to live more generously, this is a big heart of what they have. They, they believe uh, that finances is more than finances and that we're, we're available more for what God wants to do in our lives when we're free financially. And so maybe that's the step that you need to take. But wherever you're at, please pray and ask God, Lord, what would you have me to do with the finances in our life in relation to what you're doing at SunWest in this season? If you do give to the capital campaign, so you'll have a pledge card, and you'll see options on that pledge card, but there's more options than that. So, you know, whether you want to set up, uh, you know, monthly or biweekly payments over the next 19 months or a couple of annual gifts, or maybe it's a one-time payment, uh, please designate those payments to the, capital, to the Church IC Capital Campaign. Even though there's 19 months uh, for us to raise the 750000 I need to emphasize the importance of some upfront gifts as well. Some of you guys might have cash available right away to give towards this. And, and that's critical as we move into the early stages of this and we look at renovations and what it would mean for us to move into the facility. Uh, if you have money available early, uh, please pledge that in a lump sum payment up front as well if you're able to do that. So over the next two weeks, we, we would invite you to take that pledge card, read through the material there in the brochure, and ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want us to give as a family? How could we give? How might we be able to support this? And over the next two weeks, you can bring a pledge card either to the church services. So we have, uh, you know, obviously the 15th and the 22nd. This, this campaign is going to, the pledge period will close on the 22nd. Uh, we'll make a decision. We'll vote on the building on the 24th uh, at a covenant community meeting. Uh, but you can hand in your pledge cards here the, at the church next Sunday or the following Sunday or bring them to the office. And then we will follow up with you from the office uh, according to the, the contact info you give on the pledge card. But I refer to this as a secondary goal. Because at the end of the day, if somebody in this room came forward right now and says, I'm signing a check for $750,000. I mean, that would be awesome. <laughs> if, one, if somebody here has $750,000 kicked around that you feel led to donate, uh, I'll hug you, I'll kiss you, uh, and then my wife would wonder why I'm kissing you, so I'd probably go and kiss her. Uh, and we'd all, ha we'd all have a dance party in here. That would be amazing. But I would still, I would still run the Church IC Capital Campaign. Because the $750,000 is a secondary goal. Why is it a secondary goal? Because... In Matthew 6, verse 21, Jesus teaches us that 
Our treasure is where our heart is. Our heart is where our treasure is. And I'm going to share a brief story with you out of 1 Chronicles 21. And it says, Then the angel of the Lord told Gad to instruct David to go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. So David went up to do what the Lord had commanded him through Gad. Anua, who was busy threshing wheat at the time, turned and saw the angel there. His four sons who were with him ran away and hid. When Aruna saw David approaching, he left the threshing floor and bowed down, bowed before David with his face to the ground. David said to Aruna, Let me buy this threshing floor from you at its full price, then I will build an altar to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. Take it, my lord, the king, and use it as you wish, Aruna said to David. I will give the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing boards of wood to build a fire on the altar and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give it all to you. Right here. But King David replied to Aruna, No, I insist on buying it for the full price. I will not take what is yours and give it to the Lord. I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. So David gave Aruna 600 pieces of gold in payment for the threshing floor. David is referred to in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. I believe that David understood the principle that his heart was connected to his finances. And when we've talked about the church I see, I hope you've noticed that it has very little to do with buildings and finances and has everything to do with heart and mission. And one of the advantages of a capital campaign is actually a bit of a gut check. It's a gut check for us as a community. It's a, it's a wheelbarrow type of moment. We say, yeah, I trust God, as long as it doesn't cost me anything. But this is an opportunity for us to say, yes, God, I'm willing to get in the wheelbarrow. I'm willing to trust you. Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desire, desires of your heart will also be. I've loved in this season what is awakening in our body and the excitement, anticipation, dreams. And I think one of the most beautiful things out of the, the Church I See series has been people that have been coming to me and sharing the dreams of what they feel like God is calling them to. That's an amazing thing. It's a beautiful thing. But now it's time for us to take a very pragmatic step forward and to do a heart check. And when you came in this morning, you got a loony. Everybody got their loony? But pull, pull out your loony. If you didn't get a loony, make sure to get one on your way out. So the reason you got a loony this week or this morning is because I want you to take that loony with you everywhere for the next couple of weeks. When you change pants, you're going to put it in your new pant pocket. You're going to put it on your nightstand. You're going you're to put it in a place where you have to be reminded of it regularly because that loony represents the resources, the time, talent, treasure that the Lord has given you. And we won't go into the story, but in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable. He gives some bags of money 
He gives five bags to one guy. He gives two bags to the second guy. He gives one bag to the next guy. And uh, the owner gives his bag to his tenants. And, and he says, I'm going to come back, and I want you to basically put the money to good use while I'm gone. And so the guy with five bags doubles it. Master comes back, well done, good and faithful servant. Come share in your master's happiness. The, the guy with two bags doubles it. Well done, good and faithful servant, the, the master says. Come share in my happiness. The guy with one bag took it and buried it. And he buried it, and, and the master comes back, and the master's frustrated because, because the, the one that was given one bag did not understand the principle that the master had given him a responsibility to do something with what he had given it. And the whole purpose of the parable has nothing to do with the amount of money that were give, was given. The whole purpose of the parable was, what are you doing with whatever God has given you? In Mark 12, 41 to 44, it says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more. She's given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. This loony is a reminder to you that it is not about the amount of money. It is about what God is asking you to do with what he's given you. He's lending you a loony, and, or I am lending you a loony that's representing what God has lended to you. And you can just choose to keep that loony. You can go, I don't think that'll pay for a Tim Hortons coffee, uh, but you could go and buy part of a coffee with that loony. You could buy candy in the machine on your way out of the theater here. You could bury it if you want. But my hope is that you'll hang on to that loony for these next couple of weeks, that you'll pray about what God would have you give, and that you'll bring your pledge card back with that loony because that loony represents what God has lended to you. And regardless about the amount, it's not about the amount that you're pledging, but about your heart before God as you pledge. So the primary goal... The primary goal of the Church I See campaign is not $750,000, but 100% participation. Regardless of the amount. Regardless if it means I'm going to participate by going to biblical finances so that I can find greater financial freedom, or if it means you have $100,000 sitting in the bank account that you're giving, it does not matter where you are on that spectrum but are you going to participate and recognize that your heart is tied to your finances? And this is a great opportunity, a great litmus test for us as a community to say, are we engaged with what God is doing in us, among us, and where he's leading us? Are we willing to get in the wheelbarrow? The church I see that we've been talking about only happens when we go all in. When I going back to the Chase the Lion series, we were talking about dreams and visions. And, and this series has really been just a vision series about painting the picture of what, where God might be leading us, what he might be calling us to. And in the Chase the Lion series, I used the analogy of a Lego box. And I, I said, you know, we, sometimes we have a vision and it's like a Lego box. We see the picture on the, top, the uh, front of the box and then you open it up 
And often when my kids get Lego on Christmas Day, I spend the day with them building Lego, trying to figure out how to get these pieces to look like it looks on the box. And you open the box and you realize this is going to take many, many, many steps. There's many steps to seeing this picture become a reality. And I want to be very clear that this, this building campaign is not the picture on the box. It's one piece of what God is inviting us to as a community. It's one piece. So as, we, as I close this morning, I want to go back to the front of the box. I want to paint a picture of the, what, I, what I believe and what I feel like God is leading us into. If you haven't been here in the previous weeks, that's okay, because I'm about to recap the last six weeks for you. The church I see. I see a church that isn't afraid to get its hands dirty. I see a church that is willing to go into its past and dig up wells the enemy poured dirt into to find life. And if you're wondering what some of these phrases mean, you'll, you will have to go back and watch the sermons to get some context. I see a church that isn't just content with the wells our fathers dug up, but is willing to dig up new wells to find new sources of life. I see a church that is overcoming vertigo and disequilibrium by keeping Jesus, his great commandment, and the great commission at its center. The church I see is a church where every person sees themselves as a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples. I see a church where individuals aren't okay just staying where they are and they aren't okay with the status quo. I see a church that because they're not okay with the status quo, they live with an urgency and a discipline in order to become more like Jesus. I see a church that isn't just interested in convincing nominal Christians to attend church services, but is interested in seeing people who are far from God come close to God. I see a church where maturity is marked by reproduction. I see a church that is growing not because we're shuffling the saints, but because we are stepping into their God-given mandate to make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. And because we're making disciples, we're going to plant more churches and campuses. I see a church that will not desire to build its own fame through accumulation, but will make famous the name of Jesus through multiplication. The church I see is a church that understands that God's church doesn't have a mission, but that God's mission has a church. I see a church that doesn't create barriers for people to know Jesus, but one that aggressively breaks down barriers for people to know Jesus, even religious barriers. The church I see understands that church is not a service you attend, but a people that you belong with. I see a church that embraces the diversity of the culture, language, and lives of those around it and lives as a suburb of the New Jerusalem in Calgary, Alberta, where every tribe, every tongue, and every nation can belong and worship Jesus together. I see a church that actively resists the temptation to fall into upkeep and maintenance. I see a church that doesn't expect others to do the cross-cultural work, but joyfully embraces that task. I see a church that is worshiping together in multiple languages. I see a church that has a dynamic translation ministry that enables many people of different tongues to participate in the faith community together. I see a church that moves away from simply putting on services one morning a week to having a 24-7 incarnational presence in a community. I see a church that chooses the discomfort of mission over the comfort of maintenance. I see a church that is sensitive to those who are seeking. It explains everything and assumes nothing. 
But this church is uncompromising in the radical counter-cultural life and message and hope of Jesus Christ. I see a church that cares more about where you're going than where you've been. I see a church that proclaims unashamedly the good news that Jesus is God with flesh on who came from heaven to earth, breaking every single barrier there was so that every human being would know they were loved by God and invited to be in an eternal relationship with him. The church I see is a church that is not afraid of commitment, covenant, permanence, or the blessings of God. We won't be tempted by milk and honey because we know we're blessed in order to be a blessing. This church understands that going, when the Great Commandment, commission says to go make disciples that going might just mean staying with intentionality the church i see sees itself in the intersection of mission it is a parish that invests in the lives of business people schools and communities because the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our lord it's a church of resident aliens a church that makes its home in a community in the same way jesus made his home among us i see a church that understands that its citizenship is in heaven but that god's plan is to bring his kingdom of his kingdom of heaven to earth and I do see a church in Minipore and Sundance, and I see a church that is awakening to what God planted 23 years ago in Mid-Sun Community Center that is still bearing fruit today. The church I see has babies with no hair, elders with no hair, and everyone in between. The church I see is full of followers of Jesus that realize they are building something that will outlast them. Because of this, they choose the path of legacy, which includes and necessitates sacrificial generosity. The church I see has young people who honor those who came before them by soaking up every bit of wisdom they can so that they too can pass it on. The church I see has young people who let go of personal preferences because their greater preference is to be challenged, refined, and mentored by saints that have made this pilgrimage before them. I see a church where the older generation lets go of efficiency, efficiency, traditions, and chooses to give away whatever the Lord has given them for the sake of God's kingdom. I see a church that takes the long view. It sacrifices for something that will outlive them for a generation they haven't met yet. The church I see recognizes that their unity sets the stage for their legacy. Because of this, they will set aside personal preferences for generational impact. I see a church full of future leaders, pastors, missionaries, teachers, carpenters, doctors, nurses, engineers, parents, and everyone in between that will be equipped to bring the kingdom of God to every place their feet walk. The church I see is a refuge for high school students that need a surrogate dad or mom. The church that provides hope for junior high students who are being bullied and need someone to pull out the gold in them. When students need to know that they're created in the image of God, made for the family of God, and called for the eternal purposes of God, this church will be the church that tells them that. And we will give the place, the space, and the opportunity to discover their God-given identity. The church I see provides a refuge for parents when parents are working two jobs, when life is full, when the bills aren't getting paid, and they just flat out are busy and need people that are going to love their kids to provide a home away from home. That's going to be our church. It's a church that when we have to choose between legacy or luxury, we're going to choose legacy every single time. The church I see is a church that has mature Christ-following leaders who understand that God is calling them to create capacity for greater ministry in the church. The church I see doesn't stop at transaction. It constantly pursues transformation. The church I see doesn't stop at salvation. It knows that its salvation was for a purpose to bring shalom increasingly into this world. The church I see is full of shalom breakers because of God's grace are now working as shalom makers. 
They seek to bring peace between God and others. They are uncompromising on the good news that Jesus Christ is our peace and has made a way for us to live at peace with God. They regularly give opportunity for people to respond to this life-changing truth. Each person is growing in their understanding that they carry the message of peace with God wherever they go. I see a church where people of all ages and backgrounds are entering into relationship with Jesus for the very first time. The church I see is full of people that recognize their status as sons and daughters of God. This security and identity gives them courage and fortitude to face whatever life throws at them. I see individuals that have been set free from whatever has happened in their past has prevented them from walking in their identity as a child of God. You see, the enemy comes to steal, kill, steal, steal, kill and destroy. But this church will co-labor with God to return what has been stolen, bring life to what has died, and restore what's been destroyed. The church I see is busting at the seams with people who know firsthand that intimacy with God leads to passion for God, which leads to compassion for others. The church I see recognizes that the love of neighbor is the litmus test for our love for God, and it seeks to live in shalom with all people as far as it depends on them. The church I see knows that loving your neighbor extends to fighting issues of systemic injustice. This church recognizes that God created the whole world to be his home, and we will take our responsibility as tenants within it seriously. The church I see recognizes that all of creation is groaning and in waiting for the sons and daughters of God to step up. That's the church I see. I want to invite you to, to stand with me. And church, I believe that this is a wheelbarrow moment. And God is saying, do we have any volunteers? Are we just going to believe that God can do more than we ask or imagine, or are we going to trust God that he can? So let's do it. You know, I had a, I had a comment from someone during the series that they said, you know, the church that you're describing, um, I want that and I haven't experienced that before. And, and I, just, I just echo with that. I, I, we're, we're aspiring and we're dreaming about what God would have us be. And yes, this, this campaign is a part of it. But like I said, it's not, it's not the Lego picture. It's just one piece of the puzzle. But it is an important piece, and it is a significant piece. And I believe that it's a wheelbarrow type of moment. And so I, I pray that God would uh, move our hearts in these couple of weeks. And he would set the stage for these next 19 months that, um, that we would move into a place of permanency, a place of ministry that is 24-7. Um, you know, a week ago... You know, one of our young adults, uh, just over a week ago, one of our young adults, their, their dad uh, had passed away suddenly. That was on the Mexico trip. And uh, to help Connections Church with uh, some of their finances and their bills in the interim period because they've been struggling to pay them, uh, we, have, we have paid them in advance for rentals, right? And so we had the opportunity to, to have the service there uh, last Saturday. Uh, and, and it was a beautiful thing to be able to be available and present and host something that had so many community people and could bring support and blessing to a family that was grieving and struggling. And it's just a glimpse of the type of presence and opportunity I think that we have to be light in South Calgary. So would you give? And not because you have to, but because you want to. 
Would you go all in? Would you get in the wheelbarrow with me and believe that God can do more than we ask or imagine? Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we recognize that our time on life, in, in this life is short. I was reminded of that last weekend at the service. I was reminded of that yesterday with the wake of what's happened in Saskatchewan with the hockey team. And Lord, we don't want to live uh, trying to just preserve safety and comfort and security because those things are fleeting. We want to live for you and we want to be about eternal things. And I pray for Randall's guitar. (laughs) We thank you that you make Fender Telecasters sturdy. But Lord, we want to be about things that will last forever. And those things aren't about comfort. Those things aren't about a building. But those things are about souls and the lives of people that you dearly love, that you died on the cross for, that you were resurrected and that you're calling home to you. And so, Lord, we pray that lives would be changed, that you would change our lives, and in turn, we would partner with you to change others' lives. And, Lord, we recognize that our hearts in this world are tied up in material and financial things, and I pray, Lord, that you would hold a mirror up to our hearts, that you would challenge us as your disciples, and that we would jump in the wheelbarrow, that we would give you all of us, that you would speak to each of us and like you spoke to so many of your disciples throughout Scripture, Lord, that you weren't calling them all to the same thing, but you were calling them to the next thing. And I pray that we would hear your voice and know what that next thing is and how we're supposed to participate with you in what you're doing here at this time. So, Lord, we thank you in advance for what you're doing, what you're going to do. And we pray, Lord, that this church that you planted 23 years ago that was planted with dreams that we're continuing to dream that these dreams would become an increasing reality for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.